you're visiting today, you join us at an exciting and challenging moment in the life of our church as we head towards our gift day in order to achieve the next phase of our expansion. And this includes the repurposing of the derelict building in our car park and expanding this auditorium. If this is your church and you missed either of the last two Sundays, let me really encourage you to take the time this week to watch them on the website so that we all go on this journey together. And the first one is particularly important in our understanding of what we're doing because it includes a lot more than you'll find in the brochure. Next Sunday is our gift day and we have a friend of ours, Michael Murphy from Australia speaking, which I'm very excited about. Now, before we get into the main uh, part of the talk, let's take a moment just to answer a few questions which uh, have come up over the course of the last couple of weeks. First is, will the auditorium extension be full height? And the answer to that is no, it's just the ground floor, so the rooms on the first floor will stay. And one of our staff, Ben, who did the 3D renditions for the film and for the brochure, he's knocked up some pictures this week just to help us understand what that's going to look like. So this is the auditorium end wall now. The wall will be removed and the space opened up a further 40 feet to the outside wall. Now as you can see there's a large steel pillar that's going to remain because if we took that out then the rooms above it would no longer be supported. But as the plans in the brochure show, the seating layout won't be unduly uh, interrupted by that. We'll simply pop in an aisle behind the pillar. We're planning to put some movable partitions in so that the extended space can be uh, closed off for smaller events in the auditorium. What will the approximate increase in seating capacity be as we extend this auditorium? Well, we currently can seat about 1,200 people in here. We have accommodated more than that. Recently, the recent uh, one of the carol services at the National Leaders Conference, we can get more than that in, but let's say, realistically, we're pre feeling pretty jammed at about 1,100 if we also have the connect area and the refreshments stands in the room. So the auditorium extension will add about 25% of floor space, so the potential increase will realistically add a capacity of around or approaching 300 seats. The exact number is subject to approval by the fire officer, but that gives a pretty good approximation of what we expect. Those of you who were here 14 years ago, you remember the original auditorium, you may be interested to know that the, with this next extension, in addition to the one we did some years ago, the auditorium will actually be double its original size. I was asked, if we don't raise enough money to do everything, how will the developments be prioritized? And our first priority is the kids center. That's where the greatest need is. And then the auditorium extension, and then other things like tarmacking the car park, creating the film studio, those will wait until we have enough to do that. Those of you who've been here over the past two Sundays or who have accessed those talks online will have picked up that I am really excited by this vision that we have before us. I have, however, found myself with two competing thoughts. On the one hand, I'm really thrilled at the potential the Lord has put before us to impact the children of Nottingham through the building of the Kids Centre, let alone the impact that the other developments will have on youth and adults for many decades to come. And on the other hand, as the quotes came in and we added all the costs up and everything that's going to be involved in this next stage, and then we added over half a million pounds on top 
to be given away or spent on activities and things which don't benefit us as a church, they're for those outside of us, we arrived at this cost of, uh, of 2.4 million. That is a lot of money. But as I said two weeks ago, it is significantly less than the other building options that we had explored. And what we're building is very cost effective. So this is certainly a challenge. But you know, you can tell a lot about a church's future by looking at its past track record. There's a story in the Gospel of Mark which strikes me personally as a great encouragement. In Mark chapter eight, we find the disciples in a boat with Jesus. They're having a conversation about bread. And as you know, bread is a synonym for money. And so it amused me as I read that, as I'm thinking about the amount of money we need to raise. And this occurs, this story, in Mark's gospel, just two chapters after his account of Jesus feeding the 5,000, and just a few verses after his account of feeding the 4,000. So this is Mark chapter eight, beginning at verse 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? And I sense the Lord saying as we, as we face this somewhat daunting prospect of raising the money needed for the expansion, I, I sense him saying, I've already done this a number of times over Trent's journey. Is there any reason that I'm gonna change? I will lead you and do the miracle in those hearts which are open to my leading. And if you'll join me in this next step as we walk together, I'm up for doing it again. So I do believe God is gonna make this next stage possible. Everything will come together and we'll look back on these days in years to come or decades to come and we'll be able to say, do you remember? Do you remember the time when we got the site at Easter Park despite significant resistance from the planning committee and the huge financial challenge? Do you remember the time we expanded our land and our building, made room for so many more people, so much more ministry? Do you remember when we bought the front plot and enabled the youth center to be created? When we moved the arches on site? Do you remember when we built the kids center? Isn't it amazing all that we are now able to do in impacting Nottingham for the kingdom because of the miracles that the Lord has done among us? As we approach the gift day next Sunday, we're giving towards a total which is really out of reach on a human level. It wouldn't matter how well we cast the vision for this. If God doesn't do something amazing in the lives of hundreds of us, there is no way we're gonna reach our target. We need him to touch hearts profoundly in order to provide what is needed. This morning we're gonna look at one of the occasions in the Bible that Jesus did a miracle of provision, which was referred to in the passage we just read. And we find this account in John's Gospel in the sixth chapter, beginning at verse one. 
Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? It says in Matthew's account in chapter 14, the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. There are 5,000 men. For some reason in those days they counted just the men, but you would suppose there were women and children also in that crowd. So there may well have been certainly between five and maybe 15,000 people. And this is the only story, the only miracle story that's recorded in all four gospels aside of the resurrection. Historical accounts of an event witnessed by thousands of people. So we can be confident that as impossible as it may sound, this miracle we're about to read about really, really did happen. And it made a major impression on the disciples and it has some very valuable lessons for us today. So in the story, there's a boy with two fish and two barley loaves. He's brought his lunch. They were probably little pita breads and uh, two little fish in his lunchbox. And so I want to look with you at the story and see some of the aspects that led to this miracle. Firstly, a miracle begins with an awareness of need. In the story, especially in the other three accounts, it's evident the people were hungry. They had rushed around the north shore of the Sea of Galilee to catch up with Jesus as he crossed by boat, and he had been teaching them for a long time, and then it was a long journey home. One of the reasons that Christians rarely experience miracles is that we're often content with the status quo, and we're not acutely aware of the need. Do you know what the Lord sees as he looks at the city of Nottingham and the surrounding towns and cities around us? He sees need everywhere he looks. He sees broken homes and the devastating effects of that. He sees children who are neglected, children even who are abused. He sees child migrants with no place to call home, some of whom have traveled thousands of miles in extraordinarily dangerous conditions without their mom and dad to accompany them. He sees children suffering anxiety, suffering depression. He sees increasing numbers of children living in poverty. He sees rampant drug abuse destroying young lives. And he sees children and young people who would thrive if only someone believed in them and encouraged them. And he says to Trent Vineyard, I want you to play a role in meeting that need. And to do that even more than you are currently doing, I want you to make room for more. More children who can come to get to know the love and the grace of Jesus through the incredible ministry provided by Trent Kids. More young people who can grow into what God has for them as they're invested in, in Trent Youth. And more adults who will be moved by the Holy Spirit to invest their lives in meeting some of these needs. It might be that God is stirring some of you to uh, explore becoming involved in Trent Kids. And this would be a wonderful time and a very exciting time to join that team. You know, it takes about 80 volunteers on a Sunday morning to look after Trent Kids, the 0 to 11 year olds. And over the course of a month, because most people serve once a month, that's about 
maybe a little over 300 volunteers serving our children on Sunday mornings. That's a lot. And to make sure every age group has enough team week in, week out, Trent Kids needs more now. And certainly as we do this development, we'll need many more to join the team. So if Trent Kids is something you'd be interested in exploring, getting involved in, do head for the Connect area and uh, someone will connect you up. Growing up as part of Trent Kids and youth has been incredibly formative in so many lives. We saw one of those uh, on the Vision Sunday, a film of one of those telling their story. And here is Lydia's story. I have grown up in Trent Vineyard, so that means I've been able to come all the way through Trent Kids and Trent Youth, which has been amazing. Even in the difficult times, like when my parents were getting divorced, I felt loved and supported by the leaders, which was so great. Um, and then as I got older, I moved through Trent Youth and got the opportunity to do the gap year, which is great. It meant I could continue leading a small group and continue doing what I was doing in terms of worship, which I found amazing. And now I'm at the University of Manchester, which is going amazingly. I feel like everything I've learned and been equipped to do throughout Trent Youth is really helping me apply my faith in this new environment. Um, and I've recently become a member of the Manchester Vineyard Church Band, which is great. So I'm just really proud to have been able to grow up in such a great kids and youth ministry. And I'm, I'm really excited for what it's doing now. We've reached a point where the Lord has brought the need for more space to our attention and invited us to partner with him in addressing it. Now, there's always a temptation when there's a need to find ourselves doing what we see the disciples doing in this story. We are tempted to procrastinate, to avoid taking responsibility, or we get anxious and worry. And first, we see the disciples pro procrastinating. They put off dealing with the problem. They, they delayed it. It says in Mark's account here, by this time, it was late in the day. Anybody could have seen that these people were going to get hungry. They're out in the middle of the countryside. There's no place to eat. What's going to happen? But they just put it off. In our situation, facing this need for more space, we could leave dealing with this for a while longer. But the need is here. The need is now and it isn't going away. We cannot procrastinate, hoping that the space we currently have for our children and our youth and our adults will be sufficient. And then the disciples effectively said, well, it's not our responsibility. In Mark's account, the disciples said, send the people away. They're basically saying, Jesus, we didn't ask these people to come and see you. It's not our responsibility, therefore, to feed them. Tell them to go home, go away into the countryside, get themselves some food. And we could be tempted, like the disciples, to think, you know, the problems of lack of space aren't our responsibility. But we are those who the Lord has to work with. And we have the privilege of being here now, and we have the responsibility that goes with that. Where the disciples said, send the people away, we believe God is saying to us, make room for more. And, you know, it's not just a responsibility, but it really is a privilege. If you stop to think about it, there are not many people who get to give their money to something which makes a major impact and which they're a part of. Some give to charities which do tremendous work around this country, around the world, and they get to read updates of what that charity is achieving. 
but they don't get to see what it happening on their doorstep. But you and I get to see the impact of what we have given to week in, week out. You are part of what God is doing through this church. And as we give to this expansion, we will get to see many, many more lives changed. Those of you who were here two weeks ago will remember that I invited those who were part of this church before the warehouse was built and before it was extended to stand. And a young woman who had been part of Trent many years ago before moving away happened to be back visiting that Sunday and she'd brought some friends who were looking to reconnect to a church. And she told me after the service she was so excited to have been here that day and to be able to stand knowing that she was one of the people who gave to, for those yet to come to make space for more people with her friends who were looking to join a church sitting right next to her. We are here in this particular geographical location at this crucial time in Nottingham's history with a God-given opportunity to make a real and lasting difference, the effects of which will not only last for the coming decades as we affect the lives of children and young people, but will affect their children and their children's children. The fruit of what we're about to do will also affect the eternal destination for great numbers of people. The Lord has placed us in this church with so much blessing, so much resource, and as well as the responsibility to steward that well, comes the joy of doing so. And then we see that disciples, the disciples got anxious. They said, imagine the expense. And here in verse 7, it says, when Philip answered him, it would take almost a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. How can we possibly find that kind of money? There's just no, we, you know, no way we've got money like that. And you may have heard that total of 2.4 million that we're aiming at and become a little anxious yourself. Picture a stack of 100 tenors. That's 1,000 pounds. What we need to raise is 2,400 of those 1,000 pound stacks. What they had forgotten was who was there with them. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, standing right by them. This is the person who has already created the equivalent of 800 bottles of wine out of some jars of water. He has already stilled the storm. He has already raised the dead. And in John's account, as we just read, it says the crowd was there for a reason. A great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed. Jesus is standing right there, and they're looking for a human solution. We don't need to get anxious about the challenge. We need to trust that the Lord will do something way beyond what we can do in our own strength. So a miracle begins with an awareness of need. Miracles often involve, secondly, a major test of faith. In Mark 6, we read that Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. You do your part to meet the need. And they must have thought, us? How? In John 6, verse 5, it says this, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Before the Lord works a miracle, he very often tests us. And in the story, he's basically saying, here's a need, now you meet it. I'm testing to see whether you will respond in faith. 
He knows what he's going to do to meet the need, but he puts the ball in our court. This process really has tested our faith over the 19 years of our building journey, and it will continue to test our faith. We've done our best to hold on to the Lord's hand through some really very challenging moments through that journey. And at every stage of our building journey, there have been huge obstacles along the way. And each time, the Lord has provided the expertise, he's provided the planning permission, sometimes against extraordinary opposition, and he has provided the money to enable us to step into what we believe he's called us to do. It's been a journey of faith, and I believe God is testing us again, and he's watching to see our response. Is this a church full of disciples who are willing to respond to my leading? God says, if the, is this a church of people who are willing to go beyond what most Western Christians would do? I believe you are. Just as we excel in all sorts of ways, I believe we will again excel in the grace of giving. And for each of us, we face the test of faith regarding our own personal contribution. In the next seven days leading up to the 2nd of April, I'm asking everyone in this church to pray about how much we believe God is asking of us. To ask God, what would you like me to give up front? And how much would you like me to pledge on top of my regular giving? Don't forget this is new money, on top of what you normally would be giving for the next few years. God wants to speak to you. And he may pop an amount into your mind. He may uh, pop a a percentage of our income into your mind, or you may just think long and hard about it and arrive with a, a sense of rightness and peace when you land on an amount. And if you're married, I trust that you'll land together on something that you're both at peace with. And you may have the thought, as I have had on a number of occasions over the years, when you actually add up what that you know, sacrifice per month is going to take over so many years, what that amount of money is, and you may think, oh my goodness, that is a lot of money. Imagine what we could do if we had that much money. Oh, we do have that much money, and we're about to give it away. But I believe the Lord will give you peace. It may be a scary peace, with you thinking, I don't know how this is going to work, but I think the Lord wants me to do this. Please do be responsible rather than reckless. But the truth is we don't need to know how it's all going to work out. We need to be obedient to what we feel the Lord prompts us to do. The Lord knows what will happen in this next phase, and he's placing a test before us, asking us, will we take the risks of faith? And we can take comfort in the second phrase there in John 6, 6, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So a miracle begins with an awareness of need. There's often a test of faith involved. And thirdly, God's maths is different to ours. Verse 7, Philip answered him, it would take almost a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? God's miracles are very often based on a different mathematical calculation to ours. You know, that boy's lunch, which is described as small loaves and small fish, couldn't be divided by 10. You know, if just the disciples said, well, we need to eat, it couldn't have happened without a miracle. It would, you know, if a miracle is required to feed 10, 
It's just a bigger version of it to feed 15,000. If a situation needs a miracle, it needs one, and the size is not a big deal to the Lord. Some of you, as you think about how much you might give to this, will be tempted to look in your bank account, and you're going to see five little pita breads and two little fish. And you might think, you well, I do need to buy a new washing machine. I've got to replace my car at some point. I've got these student loans. I've got these other things. And once I subtract all the things that I need to pay out, I can give this little difference to the church. That's not God's mathematics. Jesus thinks so differently. When he says to Trent Vineyard, you feed them, you know what he's factoring in? He's factoring in himself. When we look at our resources, we often don't factor God in. We, we say, well, this is all I have. But as has been the experience of many who have given, God can provide money that you weren't expecting, and he can make the money you have go further. Giving costs, of course it does, but speaking personally for Debbie and me, we have been able to give everything that we have felt the Lord has asked us over the years. To this building journey, sometimes it's felt very challenging, the amounts we feel that he's asked us to give, but we've done so, and we've come out okay, and it's been a huge joy to have been able to invest in his work in this way. Miracles happen when we work by a different mathematical system, when we factor in God. And then we see that the boy gave what he had. I'm sure in a crowd of 15,000 people, somebody else had brought a bigger and better meal. Somebody out there probably had a bottle of Bollinger and strawberries and cream in their wicker hamper. But nobody ever wrote about them and the way they enjoyed their private feast. They wrote about this little boy. This boy became the hero, not because he had the biggest meal or the best meal, but because he gave what he had to Jesus. And it seems from the text, though I'm arguing a little bit from silence, that he gave it willingly and cheerfully. I don't see Andrew snatching it off him. Uh, you know, we don't sense him giving it grudgingly or complaining or resenting or, or even worrying, you know, I, what, I've got to think about what I'm going to eat. You know, I brought my lunch, I'm responsible, and now I've got to give it away. What's left for me? It would seem that he did it cheerfully. And he didn't say, well, I could, I could probably spare like one fish and one of my little pitters. He didn't apparently hesitate, even though he didn't know what was going to happen, what Jesus was going to do with that. From the boy's point of view, he took what he had and he put it into the hands of Jesus. We are building here space, predominantly space for children. But we do have a lot to learn from children. We release it from our hands and we put it in his. Fifthly, miracles often require our participation. In Mark 6, the version there, Jesus directed them, the disciples, to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. The disciples had to go over to the people, this massive crowd of people, and say, excuse me, uh, would you mind just getting into groups and sitting down and getting ready for dinner? Knowing that their hands were empty and there was a little small lunchbox down the bottom of the hill. And really, that's what I'm doing. I'm asking you to get ready for God to do something incredible. In Mark's account, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and he also divided the two fish among them all. 
It's not clear from any of the accounts whether the food was multiplied in Jesus' hands as he kept breaking the fish and bread, or whether he gave the disciples a handful and then it multiplied as they gave it out and it just didn't run out. But however it was that Jesus multiplied the food, what's clear is that it involved the disciples in the process of feeding the crowd. In the Bible, over and over again, God doesn't just do something from heaven apart from the hands of people. In the Old Testament, we see that as the people of Israel crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land, God required the priests and Joshua, the leader, to actually walk into the water before the river divided. We, he required the people to circle the walls of Jericho again and again, rather than just simply knocking the walls down himself. As we play our part, it releases God to move. As we step out in radical faith, and in so doing say to God, we want to walk in complete obedience to your call on our lives, that sets the stage for him to act. Some of you have only recently joined us, and you may be holding back a bit, thinking, well, I'm just settling in, perhaps I'll leave this to the old timers. And I do appreciate this may feel a bit sudden. Some of you may be thinking, oh, I wish I'd perhaps joined in a couple of months' time as the building work was just beginning. But it may be that the Lord has brought you here for such a time as this. He's brought you here to be a part of this development. Let me encourage you not to leave it to those who've been around for a while. And others of you who have given to previous building phases, you may be tempted also, you may be tempted to hold back thinking, well, perhaps I'll leave it to those who've not yet given. And my encouragement to you, as it is to myself, is get involved again. The truth is, it is almost certain that the majority of the money given and pledged next week will come from those of us who've already given. As I said a couple of weeks ago, no matter how much or how little we have, if we will give it sacrificially as God asked us to, it releases him to ask someone else to give what we would love to give if we only had it to give. Last Sunday, someone came and asked me a question and uh, he said, you know, I, I really don't have any money. I don't have much money at all. But I was thinking, what if I got a Tupperware box and cut a slot in the top and each week I put a pound in and then at the end of the year, I would have 50 pounds and could give that. Would that be acceptable? And my reply was, acceptable? Of course it's acceptable, that's wonderful. You responding to God in that way, I believe will, re will release him to prompt a wealthy person to give what you would love to give if only you had it. Now lastly, God's provision is more than enough to meet the need. We see in Mark 6, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left, left over by those who had eaten. The people had enough to give away to others. I don't know whether they distributed them to people along the long walk home. I don't know whether that little boy got to take a whole basket back to his mum. But evidently, they had an abundance to give away. We're trusting that God will ensure that we not only get enough money to do this next phase, but that we will be able to give away or spend many hundreds of thousands of pounds on those outside the church. That is our commitment anyway. Even if we don't get enough to feed ourselves, we're committed to setting aside that 22% of everything that we as a church give for that purpose.
And we believe God has asked us to trust him in this, and that's what we'll do, even if we can't afford to finish all the various parts of this next phase as a result. The deadline by which we're aiming to get all of our gifts and pledges in is next Sunday, 2nd of April. Please don't miss it, because as soon as we know where we stand financially, we'll be in a position to make some decisions. And we're hoping to be able to press play on the project with work potentially starting on site within the next couple of months. If you would like to this, give to this, but you're not gonna be here next Sunday, do post it in using the envelope in the brochure. Otherwise, if you're gonna be here, bring it with you. And then together with the youth who will be taking their offering, the children will be bringing theirs, we will bring it all together and offer it to the Lord together. And we'll be announcing the total the following Sunday. Don't sit on the sidelines. Don't leave it to others, or you will always feel left out of this miracle that God is about to do. Over the years, people have said to me, I didn't give, and I wish I had, and I wasn't part of what God was doing. Don't leave it to regret. Even if you don't want to give a vast amount, give something. Be a part of this. Some of you don't feel like you have very much. Maybe you're in debt. Maybe you have very, very limited income. Like our children and youth, you know, who will be giving next Sunday, they give out of what they have, not out of what they don't have. Will the children's gifts amount to a huge sum of money, which will make a huge dent in the total? I doubt it. But their participation is the key. They will be able to say in years to come, I was part of that. I gave my two pitters. I gave my pocket money. I was a part of what God did. The Lord is not looking for people who have very little money to give large sums. But their small sums are as appreciated as the gifts of those who give tens of thousands out of relative wealth. I hope there will be many who give tens of thousands. The key is equal sacrifice, not equal gifts. With all I've said, it's worth saying, you know, over the last three weeks, I don't want anyone to feel at all pressurized. This is a personal journey between every one of you as an individual and God. And uh, so I'm not going to know what you give. The pastors won't know what you give. It's between you and God. Do you remember the time Jesus witnessed a poor widow who put two very small copper coins into the offering? He said, she put in more than all the others. They gave out of their gifts of wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. Whether we are wealthy or poor, we are invited to act like that widow, to give generously from what the Lord has entrusted us with. And I look forward to seeing as many of you as can make it next Sunday, as we bring our loaves, we bring our fish, and we entrust them to the Lord's hands. I believe we will build a kids' center and expand this auditorium. If we do, it will be a miracle. It will involve many hundreds of hearts surrendering to the Lord's will in a way that can only be attributed to God's wonderful orchestration. We can't assume it'll happen. We can pray and fast and give sacrificially everything the Lord asks of us and put the outcome into the hands of our loving Heavenly Father. Would you join me in standing and let's read together the ending of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, 
according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen.